0: Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Michael LaCour, co-founder of FP Pathfinder. FP Pathfinder is a flow charting tool for advisors. And what I mean by that is it's a curated flow charting service that helps advisors make better, more consistent decisions around how they service advisors and provide advice. And with that, here's my interview with Michael. Michael, thanks for taking the time today. Hi, yeah. Thank you very much for having me, Jason. Well, no, I've been uh, I've been a fan of this company for quite a while because of the sheer brilliance of the simplicity of it all. So I'm very, very happy you agreed to come on. Now that I'm so happy and excited to tell everybody about this. Sure. I think you hit the nail on the head really well. We make checklists and flow
1: charts to help advisors be more diligent in the planning process and to have more diligent conversations about financial planning topics with their clients. So basically like just to kind of drill down like the next step into that. So checklists come in a couple of different ways. We've got some checklists that are designed for clients that are going to go through a major life event. They lost their job, they mm. lost their spouse or they're buying a home. And whenever they go through their, a big life event like that, there's a ton of planning conversations that have to happen there. So this provides a structured way for advisors to systematically go through a process and make sure that they turn over all the rocks looking for planning opportunities or just to make sure that that they avoid a landmine. Then there's some other checklists that go into topics that can be done every year or reviewed each year. So issues to consider at the end of the year, issues to consider around tax time or issues to look at when reviewing investments. And then flowcharts, they really focus in on the decision points. So it can help you as the advisor work with the client to evaluate different decisions for clients about, do we actually roll over this 401k or do we leave it where it is and which option makes sense? And then sometimes it just goes into the rules that we cover mostly all the United States laws. And so just getting money into a retirement plan, there's a lot of simple questions
0: that we tend to forget about. So we've got some flow charts out there just to help guide those conversations. So bottom line is you've basically put together everything somebody needs to know when making a decision. And what you've done is you created these flow charts of, is this thing happening with this situation? Yes, no, move on to the next step. So you've really created a paint by numbers approach to this. But I don't wanna diminish the brilliance of this because besides creating consistency, I mean, what you've done essentially is you've created a best practices operation for accessible in bite sizes based on the actual action that you're doing. So what I truly love about this is that an advisor who signs up with you can count on you to kind of continue to build in best practices and updates to tax code and whatnot into this system, thereby diminishing the cognitive burden on their operations. Well, that's exactly the case.
1: When we kind of look at what we try to solve, there's basically three things. It's really complicated stuff that we have to track. There's just so Uh much stuff that we can run the risk of forgetting something. And then once, once we get it all figured out, eventually, the rules change. Here in the States, like there has just been all like, the time. It's just it, like every time we turn around over the last 18 months, there's been some new regulation or something that's coming down the road that just makes it just upends like all the traditional planning options. And all of a sudden, strategies that weren't an issue are now becoming like things that weren't popular are now all of a sudden like really critical to review. So then it just comes down to just a sheer amount of time and effort to stay on top of a
0: lot of this stuff. Exactly. And a lot of it's like administrative in nature or just best practice in nature. So, I mean, we all have our internal lists, right? And hopefully write those down. But this, the fact that we're kind of like outsourcing that cognitive decision-making is just remarkable. I think that's a, it's a wonderful product. So let's go kind of jumped ahead here, but let's go back and tell sure. me the story about the creation of FP Pathfinders. Like what led to use? Well, I mean, clearly the problem was there. What led you to discovering the problem and saying, this is the better way?
1: Well, I think it it was me running into my own issues as an advisor. I got into the business maybe 10 years ago. And for whatever reason, these clients that I was dealing with, they were all asking the same question. And it was, can I make a, a contribution to my Roth IRA or my traditional IRA? And I can't even count the number of times where I screwed up answering that question. And there's like eight, I don't even know how many questions it is. It's maybe five or six questions you have to ask the client to make that determination. But no matter what I did, I kept forgetting one of the key questions. And so I'd end up invariably having to call the client back up and say, look, I'm so sorry. I know I said you couldn't make this contribution because you don't have earned income, but your spouse is working. She has earned income. So you actually can't do this. And Mm -hmm. for me, it was just like a bad experience for the client. Like, They call up thinking it's a simple question, what they think is a simple question, and it's actually a little bit more technical. And so the genesis of this whole idea was that one day I just sat down and I just wrote out the decisions that would have to happen in a flowchart. And I made it look pretty, and I shared it around with a couple of advisors, and they liked it. And then I thought, yeah, maybe there's something here. And I ended up sending it off to Josh Brown at the Reformed Broker. And he he posted it up on this website. And the way I had it set up was that if you wanted future flowcharts, just leave, just uh, fill out the form and I'll add you to the mailing list. And I was shocked. Like there were so many advisors. They had like uh, John Doe at abcfinancial.com show up. I thought, oh, advisors are going to f- might find this stuff interesting too. And so then I just started reaching out to bloggers and that's how I got connected with Michael Kitsis. And Michael was kind of approaching this along the same way. Except while I was doing flowcharts, he was really interested in doing more checklists. And so we just got to talking about the overlap
0: between flowcharts and checklists, and it turned out. By the out way, to- yeah, okay, so geekiest conversation ever, which is great, and I totally one I could see Michael <laughs> having. But continue. So we just had a lot, a lot in common
1: about what we wanted to do and how this could all work. So we just did a pilot project. Would. Could, could we make a product where advisors would find value in this enough where they'd pay a little bit of money for it? And it turned out they did. So that was about almost three years ago. So now we've just been growing ever since. We added a checklists a couple of months after we launched, and we started hiring folks to help on the team, just help develop the resources and, and help with some member service
0: stuff. So it's a bigger operation now. Not bad for a guy who started off just making a flow chart. No, that's um, right. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, it's the again, some of the most brilliant ideas are the simplest. So basically, tell me about the... how. So how many flow charts are you supporting currently? Because this list just keeps on getting bigger and bigger every time I turn around.
1: Right. Yeah. So we have, I'm going to say it's about 85 resources right now. It's split almost half between checklists and half flow charts. We keep them all up to date. So as the rules change, We go in and we update them. We add the numbers. If it's just an annual limit change, which happens at the end of each year, if a new legislation comes out, we get to work on trying to update those as quickly as we can. And then we try to add one to two new resources every month. So that library just keeps on growing. And we have a part on our website where members and even prospective members can go on and get a sense of what our editorial calendar looks like and then help to shape it because they can make suggestions and they can vote up resource suggestions. And as it percolates to the top of the list, well, then it moves up
0: onto our own list to get rolled out down the road. Okay. But so you get suggestions, but talk to me about the thought process or the research that goes into actioning them, because you can't be an expert at everything, of course, right? So how do you go? Someone, someone tells you that they want you to look at this one taxable account or the one conversion of this taxable account, all the steps involved, what background research are you doing to make sure that you nail this thing?
1: Yeah, right. So there's a couple, couple of steps on all of that. Some of it is just, you just dig into the regs to make sure you understand the rules. All right. So it's just, Mm -hmm. Understanding the laws, make sure that you have those distilled down. There is then another layer where we're just out there seeing how do other people, how do bloggers or journalists cover a topic just to understand how does that natural conversation flow happen. We've got a, a smaller group of advisors that we'll send around occasionally some of the resources just to get feedback on because it's like one part to get the rules straight. It's another part to make sure that it's, it's framed in a way where an advisor could actually use it with a client. And so there's a a balance that we, we struggle with over there. And so we've got some people on the team where they're very technical and then other people where they, well, and I shouldn't say that like, we wear different hats at different times of the review process where sometimes it's just the technical review. And then other times we're saying, OK, how does this actually flow if I'm with an advisor go, or with a client going over this? And then from there, depending on the complexity of the topic, we'll try to rope in other subject matter experts just to get their, their opinion to make sure we're not missing a, a major planning issue. But inevitably, we've got 3,000 financial advisors now that use our service. And so I'd say once or twice a month, we have an advisor that's reaching out to us and saying, Hey, this is, this works, but in my own practice, I've seen this as an issue because I've got this special niche and here's a planning thing that I add in addition to my own, in addition to what you've covered here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we, we run that by our own process and say like, Hey, that, that works. Let's add that in. How does that, how can we add that point if, if it's deemed to be
0: um, something that makes sense? which is a great feedback mechanism. Essentially, you're, you're, you're crowdsourcing the best practices of every flowchart you have up there. So that, that user feedback is, is just incredibly powerful. Thank you. Excellent. So for anyone who's ever, who's never tried to put together a flow chart together, let's just, I want to frame one thing. Okay. It is a lot more difficult than some people think it does. It it has been simply because the reality is you may have like seven different decision points that are involved in something. What's the order of those decision points, right? I'm sure like, Michael, you're nodding your head. Like this must be one of the most frustrating parts. Like we got to determine X, Y, and Z, but is it X, Z, Y, or Y, Z, X, or, or so, so how much work goes into just kind of making sure you have the kind of golden path, right? Oh, man,
1: I love that. That's like one of my favorite things. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, I'm coming up with the issues. I'm figuring out what the me or the team, we're coming up with what the issues are and we're sketching it out. And as you go through it, you just have to keep stepping back and saying, okay, what's the unintended effect that happens with this flow? And we've seen times where it's like, oh, wow, if you have this unique edge case fact pattern there's a glitch that happens. Like you can accidentally end up in the wrong area. So you just have to go back and rebuild it and change it around or just put the clarifying language in there. What I find to be most interesting, and it's just me personally, when I'm building out a flowchart, I can't build it on a computer or a piece of software. I have to build it in a piece of paper with sticky notes. And yep. I have to, it's like, I, it breaks up my thought process too much. If I'm trying to like move the box around on the computer,
0: I gotta like just pick up the sticky note and move it around. Well, I get that. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot easier to to move that stuff around, not worry about connecting the lines and everything else. So now, this may seem to some of the listeners of the podcast is maybe not exactly a technology company, but let's let's actually let's go further. So you're not yeah. just putting together PDFs of basically what to do. Talk to me about how what started as a simple PDF of a flowchart right. how you've expanded that and and not only basically built in other technological capabilities, but also how you're integrating with different partners now.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. So when we got started, it was just like this grand experiment. Well, do people see value in this? And one of the biggest pieces of feedback we got early on was we like the flow charts. We like the checklist, but get your FP Pathfinder logo off there and let me put my logo on there because I don't want my clients to see your name on there. I want them to see my name. So, First big improvement we did was allow for white labeling. And so that was another a price tier that we introduced where advisors can pull off our logo, put their logo in place, and then they can change all of the colors around on the flowchart or the checklist. They don't change the content of it. They just change how it looks. And then there's a back page where the advisor could put in whatever disclaimers they have to put in, whether it's a, a long one with their broker dealer, or maybe they just want to put in a little bit of marketing information. Right. So that was the first thing was just it wasn't something that people wanted to keep as their secret sauce. Necessarily, they wanted to put this in front of their clients. Then about a year ago, we took the next step and we started to make a lot of our resources interact with the CRM systems. So if you think about what happens if a client calls up and says, my spouse just passed away. Now, chances are, as an advisor, you deal with this once or twice a year the rules are always changing. So whatever you knew last year or the year before when the last client passed away, it might not be up to date anymore. So what we found was that advisors, when they they get that panic phone call saying that somebody passed away or there was a terminal illness, the first thing they are doing is typing away into Google to see what do you do when somebody passes away? What are those questions you need to ask? And we thought, well, let's take that one step further. Let's see how we can simplify that process. So the way it can work now is that Client calls up, says there's a a big life event. The advisor from the CRM can pull up the checklist or maybe even a couple of flow charts and answer the questions that come up from that checklist right there. They can check the boxes. They can add notes right there. And then they click one button and they send the whole completed checklist note back to the CRM. So a year from now, the advisor can pull it up and they can see what they talked about. And now we've added a couple of more things since then. Like it's not just a note if there were issues identified during that process, it flags them as tasks in the CRM. So it's not just documenting the historical conversation. It's also
0: assigning a task for you to follow up on in the future. Yep. I love that because I mean, so many CRMs are heavily workflow-based, which is fantastic. But who comes up with that workflow, right? Like that's the challenge, right? And everybody's kind of there is no standard library of workflows that we can draw from that is going to basically cover everything that you cover. But what you've done is you found a way to parachute yourself into that, into into that, create that workflow, and then as you're, you know, you just mentioned, you're taking the first steps in triggering other actions after you're done. So you're creating the tasks, right? I think of, I think of a world where you know, in the likes of in like some of CRMs, the creation of that task triggers the related workflow that goes on with that. So now you're just kind of compounding the automation which is just like super powerful when I start to think about it. So yeah, like we've seen some of that ourselves where the advisory
1: firm has a, a robust workflow on their administrative side, opening accounts, closing accounts, transferring assets over. But that has to be really customized for that firm based on their own custodian, how they want to do things, the user experience or the client experience that they want to build out. It's going to be completely different. Where we come in is that we can put some of those checklists and flowcharts as like a task or a subtask in a workflow for the advisor to handle in addition to all of the steps that the operations team would be
0: handling. So it kind of builds it to your point, just builds it more into that workflow. Yeah. I got to imagine, do compliance officers love you? Because okay. so, I mean, I got to think that like firms compliance officers are all about consistent processes and making sure things get checked up. I got to think that you're highly praised in that world. Yeah. I think that we don't get a lot of pushback from compliance departments. Fair enough. Because we don't make, recommend-
1: well, I, yeah, we're going to get a lot at times mm. because yep. we're putting out content. Now we don't make any recommendations mm. the, as far as we go, is we say, consider doing this, but we'll, like you take something like a, like a reverse mortgages, all right? Reverse mortgages are probably a bad idea for 98% of clients, maybe 99%. But there is an edge case there with a certain fact pattern where a reverse mortgage could make or break somebody's retirement and it's a layup, right? So we will make a note in there. If somebody has a fact pattern like this, like maybe they need to look at a reverse mortgage. Well, sometimes we'll have a we'll have a compliance department that says no, 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 it's against regulation or rules. You can't even mention reverse mortgages, and so that becomes some of it. It's because we're not make we don't say you should do this, but just mentioning certain terms kind of
0: raises a flag. So, I mean, that's an angle I hadn't thought about was the entire, you know, does this conflict with company policies surrounding advice? mm -hmm. However, I mean, what I meant by the entire statement was, again, compliance officers want to see notes. They want to see processes. They want to basically make sure you're being you're you're treating people the same who are the same. And you are right in that wheelhouse. You basically create that consistency of experience. Yes. I mean, I kind of look at what you do is almost the next level of business coaching. Like instead of, you know, there's always, there's value to someone telling you how to do it. There's something different with someone who actually like live like says, not only is kind of like your first package, your first package is here's the, the flow charts. This is how you do it. And then it's like, no, no, no we've done everything, but do it for you. All you got to do is enter in the information in this box now, <laughs> follow through the, the flow chart. So yeah, no, very, very, very bullish on what you guys have done. And uh, I think I asked this question the first time for you, uh, we, we chatted, but I got to imagine that the, the checklist manifesto, was a very important book in your life because uh, (laughs) it (laughs) resides like like, on my desk, right? Yeah. For those who (laughs) are not seeing it, he picked, he can't watch this. He literally picked it up and waved it. And for anyone who hasn't read that book is an utterly brilliant book about even how the most sophisticated and advanced things in the world from flying a plane to performing surgery, rely heavily on very rudimentary basic checklists to ensure consistency and prevent errors. And even, I think one of my favorite stories from that was Sully Sullenberger from The Miracle on the Hudson, how he basically was like, oh, you're a hero. He's like, I followed the checklist. (laughs) So, Yeah. In that book, there's another really interesting
1: story about, this was like a person up in Austria, a little girl, she fell into the ice, like broke through and got stuck under there for like, 20 mm. minutes or something and finally like the rescue crews pulled her out they went through this process to get her heartbeat going like 20 minutes under the ice they track her over a number of years full 100 recovery All right wow. it yes. was so miraculous that it was like the journal of medicine there was some big publication that that did like a whole research on on this one case and they're going what what was it what was the magic what was the miracle that happened and they said Actually, nothing. They just followed the process from start to finish. Like the emergency response team handled the call properly. Everybody did every step along the way, right down to like two years later, the way they were doing physical therapy was done in a very specific
0: way. It's like they just followed the process, they didn't miss a step. It actually reminds me of a book I read years ago about the 49ers heyday and about Bill Walsh and the invention of the the West Coast offense. And everybody criticized as being this robotic process, right? And it's like, okay, it was a robotic process that basically led to like four Super Bowls because they took a lot of things that were left for chance and created, you know, simple checklists for each person to follow. Like, you know, the the quarterback literally had three options before you had to run. Like it was step back five paces, look forward, look for the deep ball, look for this guy, look for this guy. You don't have that run or spike ball. It wasn't nothing left of the imagination when back then, it was more so, okay, we're going to call this route, throw it to who's open. And it's like, right. no, no, they they had systemized it down to, you're going to look only at this half of the field. You're only going to look at these three people. They're going to be running. You're going to be in these three positions that are lined up so that your eye can go from here to here to here. And you're going to throw it three feet in front of them. So, or whatever distance in front of them so that they can catch it while on the run. And it was like that process revolutionized football. Right? And it's just, again, very simple example of how small, brilliant checklists. I just take the standardized best practices can have enormous impacts and it's not, and make the people who execute them look utterly brilliant. And, They are brilliant people, but my goodness, like a brilliant person with a a great process is just amplified beyond that. Yeah, right. So you've gotten this far with uh, with what you've done. I mean, what are your aspirations or hopes for where you could see this going?
1: Well, we still have a ways to go on building out more resources. We've got another 30 or so topics that we're just itching to get working on. Some are really important, but it's like more on cash flow management issues to be looking at. There are some cases like we have a, a big request on annuities, uh, how to review like an, annu- an insurance policy or like an annuity policy. So there's a number of those resources that we're going to be working on. We're at this point where we're also looking to find more ways to get advisors using these checklists and flowcharts with their clients in an easy, accessible way. So there's a couple of ways that we want to do this, but our checklists are basically catch-alls. So if we pull up the annual client review checklist, there could be questions in there about that apply to somebody that is ultra high net worth and then somebody that is just living off of social security. And so as we start to progress down the road we're going to have some more tailored checklists that that can break that apart and so you have depending on the client situation there might be a checklist or two that makes more sense compared to the other one. So there's some experimentation that will happen there. Another area that we'll be looking at is just making the user experience altogether easier when we got started we designed this whole site with for 12 resources and now we're up to like 80 90 and if we keep adding two new resources a month well that library just is going to get a lot larger and so it's making it easier for people to find what they need when the problems happen because you don't want to have a phone get a phone call from a client and then have to spend five minutes trying to find the resource so those are the big things right there. There's probably going to be more ways that we incorporate this and help advisors incorporate this into their marketing or just in terms of like working on their like a service calendar of some sort, so making it easier to bake into their own process
0: over there. Absolutely. Now, I'm guessing I'm curious, do you currently kind of nest other checklists within checklists, right? So like, is there a current, like, you know, you get to this point point, it's like, you should really go open this checklist now because you've now gone into another one. Because I think about like the number of ways you can create this giant web of servicing that can really kind of amplify that that ability as well. There is some of that. We try to balance it because we have a lot of advisors that are using this in their
1: marketing. And so if they're Putting up a flowchart onto their blog or sending out into their newsletter, and it references too many other resources. Well, it becomes they can't stand alone fully, and so you you might need to add like an extra resource or two. But it we try to like just have one or two references in each resource, and we kind of focus on where where there's like a big planning issue to go into where we can't summarize it in two bullet points. It has to be its own flowchart or checklist.
0: Excellent. So I mean. To date, great progress. Like I said, I'm a big fan of what you've done, the simplicity and genius of it. Again, I just remember the first time I looked at it, I'm like, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. Thank and you I'm so jealous. Much. And again, it solves such an obvious problem in such an obvious way. But again, I think just, As I said, you're practically crowdsourcing best practices on this stuff now. People are correcting you in real time or suggesting stuff in real time. So anyone who signs up for your your service, and frankly, at like a starting point of $99 per year, my God, like anyone who's basically wanting to make sure that they're delivering consistent, efficient, best-in-class service and making sure that they're thinking about everything that needs to be thought about. This is a no-brainer to me. And frankly, as you keep growing, I can only see it getting better because you're going to cover more topics and you can get more feedback and you're going to improve them all. So you got this beautiful flywheel effect going on. So congratulations on that. Oh, well, thank you very much. So before we sign off, I have three questions I ask everybody. So the first one is, if you had one wish for something you can change in the industry or your company, what would it be?
1: My big wish, and this is me still wearing my advisor hat because I still work with some some clients. I'm looking for the technology to integrate at a higher level. What we see right now is like account information and demographic information on the clients moving back and forth. But where we see this stuff going is just, we need to connect more of these points together. Mm -hmm. So the CRM, or let's say your risk profiling tool, how does that, how can that integrate better with your financial planning tool? Not just passing the data, but helping the recommendations to fuel off of each other or to tee up and identify things. So there I see that there's just a whole new level of integration that could happen that could really unlock a lot of features that we're not currently using in our tech stack.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to translate what you just said into better data talking to each other because that's a common refrain amongst members <laughs> of this podcast. So you just gave a very common response in a very different way. <laughs> but I agree. I kind of looked at like integration work that's been done and the different styles we have as being, you know, a lot of these integrations are still generally superficial. I think we're going to be able to in the future as things continue to progress and build deeper integrations and action it better and think of ways to action it. the amount of benefit we're going to be able to provide clients with is enormous. So the second question for you What's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is thus far? Oh, man, that's a tough question for me.
1: I feel so fortunate that we haven't had major stumbling blocks. Everything from connecting with Michael Kitsis early on when I did to finding the right team members when we did has been just a godsend. So I'm going to have to grasp at
0: straws on some of the obstacles here. But uh, You know what? Maybe I'll follow up with you in a couple of years and you can tell me about the problems you've had since then. (laughs) Or you're like, when you actually encounter a bad one, you can just email me and let me know and I'll do an update. (laughs) That's a tough one. It's just worked really well. I would say, if anything,
1: it's just uh, managing uh, time commitments. Because for a very long time, I was very much being a financial advisor and very much growing FP Pathfinder. And that was a lot of late nights. And I had to make a lot of judgment calls about where was I going to spend my time and what things would have to go, but we're in a better place now. So maybe that's what the answer
0: would be. Well, I mean, you echo the challenge that faces any entrepreneur with a side hustle that may overtake their current hustle. And it's not uncommon. It's uh, someone uh, who can relate quite honestly. <laughs> it is not uncommon. The last question I have for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and gets you out of bed every morning to keep on fighting a good fight? Oh, gosh. I- This is like the best, I could not ask for a better, better thing
1: over here. We've got an amazing team and they, every day they are bringing amazing insights on how we can make this business better and how we can help our members do a better, do better work for their own clients. And then they, they all have their own unique expertise and it frees me up to focus on what I'm strong at. So all day long, we're all just focused on what we all do best. And if there's something that I'm not great at, well, there's somebody on the team that's really great at that. So it's just, it's so much fun knowing that it's like, there's no projects on this team where we're dragging our feet or we're procrastinating. Because if we are procrastinating, it just means somebody else on the team is probably better suited for it. We need to talk with them because they'll love to do it. And so it's just constantly looking at at what we're doing and figuring out how we can um, best align that stuff going forward.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, it's almost like your team's in a flow state. You know, you guys, you guys got your rhythm down, you're good at what you're do. Everybody's got their strengths. Yeah. So, I mean, I can totally see why that would be energetic. And at the end of the day, you're not just making your practice better. You're making countless practice better. Well, yeah. actually you count them. You already have a number of, you know, <laughs> but you're, uh, you're, you're creating, you're creating something that's going to make everybody far more effective. So fantastic work. And Michael, thank you for taking the time. Sincerely yeah. appreciate it. Jason, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun here. So that was Michael LaCour of FP Pathfinder. I hope that if you are based out of the U.S. and interested in systemizing your practice and making sure that you get everything right the first time, take a look at what they've done. Honestly, for the price point, its it can't be beat. And with that, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or visit your podcast. Until next time, take care.